Now, the harsh reality of life is that we sometimes f*** up our decisions. What makes us do this? How do people judge us? And how do we sort things? Is at the heart of today's discussion. And today we have a f***ing epic case study to discuss. Hey, Joe, does this podcast editing software have a default anti-profanity filter? Knows. Welcome to Decision Nerds. I'm Paul Richards. And I'm Joe Wiggins. In this podcast, we analyse decisions, where they can go wrong, and how we can make them more effectively. We talk with researchers and industry experts about the art and science of understanding human behaviour. If you want to understand yourself, your team, or board better, there's something here for you. So today, we're going to look at a high-profile decision that made the news in the UK recently. Joe, can you set the scene for us? I certainly can. So there's a recent news story that, that caught my eye and attention, and that was of a leading ultramarathon runner being disqualified for uh, using a car during a race. And so the context here, it was a short 50-mile run between the cities of Liverpool and Manchester, and, and she finished third in the race. But it later transpired that she had travelled for two and a half miles in a car during the race. And this was only discovered when a race organiser noticed that she had covered a mile in one minute and 40 seconds, which is in very impressive time for any any marathon runner. Um, the justification for that was that she was feeling disorientated and unwell and had lost her way, so had to take her car to the next checkpoint, at which time she decided to carry on for training purposes, but not be officially part of the race. But when she eventually finished the race in third place, she accepted the podium finish in the medal. This runner has fantastic pedigree in history and endurance running and is, by all accounts, this is behaviour that is totally out of character. And we've seen the natural reactions we would expect online and on Twitter is to criticise and demonise the individual involved. But for me, the interesting part about these types of situations is about how and why we make mistakes. Because let's be honest, we all make them large and small. It doesn't make us terrible people. So what we want to try and think about today is in what situations are we liable to make the biggest mistakes and, and what can we do about it? There's a ton of things to explore here, but to try and give this a little bit of structure, let's follow the flow of causality. The natural starting point might be taking the medal on the line, but I'm not sure that's how I see it. What's your take on that, Joe? Yeah, it's really interesting. There's a couple of important points for me. One is we have a tendency to make poor in-the-moment decisions that come with quite profound long-term costs. So we do what makes us feel better right now and don't worry about the consequences or don't consider appropriately the consequences. And as an investor, I think about this a lot because much of our decision-making is tied up with poor short-term choices with disappointing long-term consequences. The other thing of note for me is that mistakes often compound. So when we see what we think is a major or large mistake, we think about that one event and not the decisions that led up to that event. And oftentimes it's the small choices we make that lead us down a certain path or commit us to a certain path that ends up in being something quite profoundly poor. Totally agree with those points. And to me, when I read this article, there were a couple of other things that jumped out. Firstly, it's the environmental factors that influence a decision. You said it was a, a short run of 50 miles, and that's how most ultra runners will see it. But you're still going to be tired. She was actually sick at the time. And these things can have a really significant impact. The other things that are important, I think we should talk about here is that when we've made a mistake, people are going to judge us for it. And she did get quite a lot of hate on Twitter over this. I think we should talk about something called the fundamental attribution error that everyone should be aware of. And I think lastly, one of the other factors that seem to impact things here, it was a, a three-day period 
before she actually came clean to the organizers and said, look, I've, I've mucked up, which also appeared to compound the problem. So I think there's a ton of interesting stuff there. Where should we start? So I think let's start from the the idea about how we think about short-term decisions and the impact of short-term decisions relative to their, their long-term consequences. Now, I think this really important feature of, of human behavior that, that captures, is captured in every walk of life. Think about um, from a personal perspective, if you see someone, let's say a married person uh, with a happy family gets involved in a one-night stand and then marriage breaks up, separated from family. That's a kind of a prime example of situations where people make short-term emotionally-led decisions and don't think about the long-term dramatic, profound consequences of, of those choices. I think even from an, from an evolutionary perspective, you can understand why we make certain short-term decisions often about survival or dealing with the things we're feeling in the moment. We just don't have the capacity to think about or understand the consequences of those of those choices. And that that's very relevant in everyday life and also in, in investing where we are facing short-term stress and anxiety and worry and excitement and all of those different factors which lead us to do things right now and deal with the emotions we're feeling right now and and neglect and fail to appropriately capture the the consequences of what those decisions might mean for the for the future yeah i mean it goes back to the classic system one system two thinking we're built to be cognitive misers to me this this whole situation started when she made the decision to get into the car now, if we were thinking about it rationally, there's a whole cascade of things that would need to happen after that to make sure that she informed the marshals to think about what might happen on the line. But when things are tough, we just don't do that, uh, particularly when we're tired. And I think that leads us pretty nicely into thinking about environmental factors. It's a pretty obvious point, but one of the things that I've often discussed with clients in the past is just never make decisions when you're tired or when you're stressed, or when you're anxious. Sometimes decisions have to be made in the moment, but all of these factors, there's a massive literature on it, all of them will, on average, drag us down the wrong path. And she had the holy trinity of things being tired, sick, and having to make a snap decision at the moment. So again, although it looks bad, as someone who thinks about this as a decision specialist, I kind of understand how that happened. Yeah, and I think we always need to think about are we making a decision in a, in a cold state or a hot state? And they're two, two incredibly different things, and our, our behaviour will be entirely different depending on, on what state we're in. Drawing it back to my own experiences in investment, I mean, one thing I always try and say to people is if you're feeling emotional about a decision, however that may be, if you're feeling anxious or worried or excited, if you have acute emotions about a decision, don't do it. Take a step back, and particularly in investing where you don't have to make immediate choices. We often feel like we do, but we don't have to make immediate choices. In some scenarios, as you say, you do need to make in-the-moment decisions, and there it's much harder to, to override that short-term thinking. But there are many circumstances in life when we make very short-term decisions in poor environments where we don't really have to do that, and we can avoid making those types of choices. But it's about being aware of how you're feeling in a given situation and what factors might be impacting your your choices and, and at times trying to, to take a step back from that. In this ultra marathon situation, it's much more difficult because you are you are in that moment and you need to make a decision right then. So there's no turning away from those those issues. Okay, so let's look at how decisions are judged in the outside world. When we see something like this happening, then we are going to make a decision. And 
one of the things that immediately jumped into my head when I looked at some of the reactions on this is the fundamental attribution error. And this is just a function of how our minds work when we see something happening. So the classic example that you might see in the literature is that you're, you're at the traffic lights and a car approaches behind you really rapidly and starts beeping at you. And you can see the drivers looking agitated. For most of us, the natural reaction is just going to think, oh, what an arsehole. Why are they actually doing that? They're a bad person. Whereas in reality, there might be other factors involved. They may have their child in the back of the car who's just been in an accident and they're desperate to get to the hospital. But the key point is that we often naturally attribute something that has gone wrong to character rather than situational factors. And I think that played out in some of the comments uh, in the Twitter sphere about this. So it's just an important point that if we have done something wrong, we will be acutely aware of the factors that actually drove it and maybe expecting people to actually understand that. I think it's just important to understand that that isn't people's default way of looking things. Yeah, I think the story is always more interesting if it's about an individual. So the narrative is more interesting if it's about an individual's failure rather than is about the context or an environment that they were operating in at the time. So that's what we we lead towards. And I guess it's a it's a simple heuristic as well to make that that assumption. But I think when we think about good quality decision making, we always focus on the the individual making that choice, and we don't focus enough on the context of the choice being made so the context and environment in which a choice was made is as important as the individual making that decision we, we focus a lot on the individual decision maker and how they're how they're wired and the types of decision they might make less on the context in which they make a decision but it's, it's just as important but probably a little harder to think about Another interesting point about this that's been picked up in the press and I think in some of the commentary was that if five minutes after she'd accepted the medal on the line, she'd gone back and said, look, it's been an error. It wouldn't have been an issue. The issue here was that it was three days later. And I think that brings us on to the more practical, how, how do we sort this type of thing, is that particularly when we've done something wrong, I certainly find in, in my case, my natural reaction can be to loop around the problem and you get stuck in uh, analysis paralysis. For me, one of the really important things that I learned at my time at Goldman Sachs was the concept of raising the problems upwards. When I joined Goldman, I had to go through uh, three different um, kind of initiation sessions with a whole bunch of different people across the firm. And the really interesting point that was raised by every single person who actually did that onboarding was that if you make a mistake, you need to straight away put your hand up. You don't try and manage it yourself. Uh, and whether you're a junior analyst who comes into the organization or a partner, if you try and manage a mistake without telling other people about it, then it is going to have severe and profound consequences for you. And it's such a simple rule. But to me, it actually explains perhaps some of the reasons why Goldman hasn't mucked up as much as, as other people. It catches those mistakes earlier. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And there's, there's, there's a huge cultural point here about the reaction to mistakes and people's behaviour about mistakes will be largely driven by what they believe the consequences of those mistakes coming to, to light will be. And, and oftentimes, uh, our identity is tied up in, in the mistakes we make and the outcomes of the choices that, that we make. So how we perceive ourselves or how we might perceive other people. So if you have a reputation within a firm or within a team of having 
an eye for detail and you screw something up that has negative consequences and you think it's going to have negative ramifications for your the perception of you of an indi- as an individual, then you're probably going to be likely to not want to speak freely about that because you're worried about how it might damage the perception of you within a, within a team or within a firm. But if you're in a culture that acknowledges that mistakes will happen, we will all make them, and it's much easier to deal with them if other people are involved in them as quickly as possible, then you probably you, you cut them off very quickly and avoid situations where they compound into something far more far more significant for the individual and um, for the for the team they might be involved in. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I just think is so simple and profound and in some dimensions easy to do. Changing the culture around error, around learning and mistakes is a is a longer term endeavor. And if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. And I think we'd both agree that very few people are actually doing that. To your point earlier on, I think this thing about incentives is really important. If the if the incentive of not flagging it is actually the, the downside is far bigger uh, than the downside would be in another case, I think that just provides a really clear steer to people about what they need to do in any given kind of situation. I think that's right. I think that's an important question to ask whether when you're running a, a team or an organisation, is thinking about what are the incentives are the consequences of of mistakes and what behavior is likely to stem from setting incentives in in that way so pulling this all together what do we think are the key lessons that any listener should be aware of so a couple of things the main one for me is to always think about the context in which decisions are made rather than focusing on the individual who made may have made a mistake it's understanding the contextual factors that might have led to that mistake or may have compounded initial poor decisions into something far, far worse. And um, so we need to think about the context of decisions and make sure in whatever decision-making environment that we are in, that we create uh, a backdrop where you can make cool state, sensible, prudent decisions rather than in-the-moment decisions that can be dramatically affected by how we feel at any given time. I'd 100% agree with that. Again, from a very pragmatic perspective, I think if we have made an error, and as we've said multiple times through this discussion, we will do, no matter how smart we are, it's to flag it and get other people involved as quickly as possible, because it will, one, break us out of any loops. It will give new information about how we can actually solve it. And importantly, it can just stop a small problem becoming a big problem.